1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number fifty six for July twenty
0: eighth, twenty eleven. Yep, we are doing our nineties series. Uh, this is episode three of that series and it's the Star Trek the Next Generation episode two. So not to make it at all confusing. You are you have so far. <laughs> Episode 56, 90s <laughs> Episode three, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Episode two. Okay, yeah. So we'll be covering Star Trek: The Next Generation by DC Comics that were released January, February, and March of nineteen ninety. Issues number four, five, and six. Well, I don't have any uh, preamble. You? Not really. They're, Just... they're they're good, solid Star Trek stories.
1: Let's let's next gen stories. Let's yeah. launch into them. Let's do it. Okay, so I've got the first one. Issue number four, titled The Hero Factor, which is a continuation from last week's story, as you'll recall. Published date, January 1990. The writer is Jan Michael Friedman. Penciler is Pablo Marcus. Letterer is uh, Bob Pinaja. Colorist is Juliana Ferreter, And editor is Robert Greenberg. The same team as, uh, as the last Next Gen one. Synopsis. The cover shows Worf and McRob in a narrow ship's hallway. Worf is being lifted off the floor by tentacles wrapped around his thorax and coming out of a dark hallway. McRob is crouching down in a defensive position holding his phaser up. Some of the tentacle tips have long sharp spikes coming out of them and one of those spikes is about to stab McRob in the side. The title, The Hero Factor, is shown like it is etched into the hallway floor. On the Enterprise-D's bridge, Picard is recording a captive's log entry. summarized summarizing the previous issue and uh, about the seemingly derelict ship, how it turned out to be a mousetrap that captured Riker and the rest of an away team that beamed over. It's so far outpaced the Enterprise at high warp. A dilithium crystal crack threatens to shut down the Enterprise engines completely and let the derelict ship escape. Picard wonders why would anyone go to such trouble to capture Federation personnel? Meanwhile, in the derelict ship, Worf and Grob are running away from the room that captured the rest of the away team and towards what they think is the engine room. McRobb, in his typical whiny little spineless jellyfish way, is warning Worf he may not be a man of action, and that, he should, uh, and that Worf should not count on him to cover his back in a battle situation. Worf tells him wisely about a Klingon saying that states warriors are not made, but rather forged in the heat of battle. As Worf completes his sentence, the two are faced by an unlikely-looking giant octopus metallic creature looking straight at them, full of menace. McRob will have his forge today, which is a good day to die. That's my impression. The beast grabs McRob, who tells Worf to get to the engine room without him. Worf fires, but discovers phaser blasts have no effect on the mechanical beastie. Worf makes a run for its eyes, and when the creature tries to impale him with a tentacled spike, he jumps to the right, causing the creature to impale his own eyes. Worf catches McRob as he falls from the weakening uh, tentacles like a toddler. Um, as they run from the room they see the creature is gathering itself and coming after them again. They enter what appears to be a command and control center, where McRobb is able to activate monitors that show many rooms in the ship. One of them is where the rest of the away team is being held in stasis. On the Enterprise, Picard will not give up the high speed pursuit. Data moves down to engineering to help Geordie with stress modulation on the cracked dilithium crystal to hopefully delay the inevitable engine failure. On the derelict ship, Worf and McRob continue to run through the ship, following the drone of the engines to the engine room. Hopefully, They are confronted by a huge yellow mechanical praying mantis this time. Worf is able to disable it by impaling it with a piece of broken machinery but not before it breaks Worf. Back on the Enterprise, Data runs into McRob, McRob's wife and tries to comfort her in his less than successful way. She faints in his arms. On the mousetrap ship, Worf gives Mopey McRob a pep talk, telling him that he will rise to the occasion, occasion and defeat whatever gets into his way of disabling the ship's engines. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise-D, the dilithium crystal shatters and shuts down the engines. LaForge initiates repairs, but Picard tells him to get it done in half the time. He also orders the launch of a Class 8 probe to keep track of the ship, the derelict ship, as long as it can. On the mousetrap ship, McRobb finds the engine room and a fast-spinning mechanism that appears to be uh, an engine core. He can find no controls so he tries to think how he can disable it with no tools or controls. A little while later Worf is surprised to see McRob enter the room again running and assumes he is being cowardly and running away from something. McRob explains he is there to get help from an unlikely source. He fires his phaser to remove the metal pole penetrating the disabled praying mantis robot. It comes back to life and takes off after McRob, who enters the hallway into the engineering room. McRob makes sure to stay one step ahead of it until he is able to lead it straight into the engine core, which disables the engines. Huzzah! Back on the Enterprise, Wesley reports to Picard that the derelict ship has stopped. Picard orders a shuttle dispatch to retrieve the away team. Picard's long entry summarizes the following events. The shuttlecraft successfully retrieves the entire away team, including McRobb, who was not hurt. In the violent disabling of the ship's engines, Worf was a significant or Worf has significant internal injuries, but he will make a full recovery. Other, other Federation ships will be warned of such taxon mousetrap ships. The Enterprise engines will be back online in half the time Geordie originally estimated. And finally, McRobb is indeed the hero of the day. On the ride back, in response to Riker and others saying he is quite the hero who saved their lives, McRobb merely states, It's nothing that your average warrior wouldn't have done. The end. So, it wasn't too bad. No, it was cute. I mean, yeah. finally, finally they resolved the Rob thing, McRobb thing. Right. I mean, they set him up for this and finally it's resolved just like Barkley well okay so what what did broccoli do at the beginning or the first time we saw him I don't remember Uh, he was being dweeby well I know he was having a lot of problems with Riker and he he was he was kind of like a Walter Mitty kind of character kind of daydreaming or whatever right having relations with Troy in the holodeck things oh, like that oh yeah i remember that i remember that and then uh he he also had riker in there but riker was like his half his normal size <laughs> and he was really stupid too what do you or <laughs> <are? laughs> something like that <laughs> i like barkley I, I do too and i thought he was really good uh, on the a team too
0: yeah you've said that i did okay he was he was I repeat, face i right? repeated
1: myself what are you, face or somebody what are you trying to be funny no who was he murdoch he's murdoch oh sorry the crazy guy not the handsome guy he's the crazy
0: guy i never watched it
1: the comic relief okay so um yeah yeah so uh i i gotta say i wasn't crazy about the huge mechanical octopus and the praying mantis
0: uh i thought they were a little over the top as far as i was concerned yeah, I agree. And why would they be shaped like uh, human animals? Or earth Earth creatures, right. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, earth. as far as you know, the taxons have never seen people. You don't know. Or, well, or at they, least earth. Yeah, and they definitely don't look like humans when you see them uh, no. in the little video screens. Well, yeah, but you really don't know whether that's their real face or some kind of earth mask thing. Mask.
1: But, but true. If that is their face, they're pretty ugly, and they, look, they don't look much like people.
0: Nope no i agree i had the same note i didn't care for that at all yeah anyway
1: i guess it's easier to make up stuff you know already rather than designing a whole new creature that would be menacing i don't know but
0: yeah because a lot of times books that uh try to make up their own creatures the the creatures they make up look kind of (laughs) cheesy
1: well that's why they got to put a little effort into it come up with something interesting true true yeah i thought they really should have been alien creatures uh, or maybe
0: something from Klingon. You know, doesn't Klingon like have all these really
1: nasty craters?
0: Yeah, but don't you remember the one episode where we actually saw what a Targ looks like, and it just looks like a a little dog with some horns and stuff hanging ah! on <laughs> Is that a Targ? <laughs> yeah, it looked really pathetic. Oh. oh no, there was a Targ in uh, Star Trek Three, and then there was oh, a Targ that... in a random episode of okay. uh, the the Next Gen.
1: Yeah, and it was pretty nasty looking on Star Trek Three.
0: Yeah, it was a puppet or something, but then yeah. I think they did a dog costume in <laughs> Next Gen, and it didn't look very good. Uh, so I guess there's Laptargs too. <laughs> now, this is just my memory of it. It, it might have been the puppet, and I just remember it looking like a cheesy dog costume, but uh, I haven't seen that episode in a while. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did like that McRob finally redeemed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that was the story arc here. And we see him pop up every once in a while here in the next couple of books. Yeah. Just as long as he's a background character now, I'm fine with that.
1: Yeah. As long as he's not so wimpy anymore, I'm okay with it. Now he should have more confidence. So he shouldn't be so wimpy.
0: Right. And he should go on and uh, work with Dr. – what's his face? (sighs) Shoot, I'm having a hard time remembering these random characters' names. Uh, Zimmerman. He was oh, Dr. Zimmerman on uh, the Saturn base, trying to figure out a way to get the, the uh, Voyager back. Oh, oh, wait, that's Barkley. Never mind. Yes, it's Barkley. Hello? And I'm confused. I don't know why. They don't look alike. <laughs> no, they don't look alike. Plus, uh, McRob is obviously doing better with the ladies than uh, Barkley oh, yeah. ever does. He's got a hot wife. Yeah, so but they actually again... call her Miss...
1: Rob here, or yeah. at least dated as so. It's right. definitely her wife, his wife. Exactly, and I think that was a revelation
0: in this episode. I didn't know she. I didn't know they were married from the first one. But... See, when we were reading the other ones, I just I assumed that it was his wife. Yeah, and I... you pointed out that it never actually said it. Yeah. So, but they did look like they were
1: uh, they were in the same uh, quarters. So, right. They probably weren't just living in sand. <laughs>
0: Okay. So, so what do you think about the artwork? I I think that they do a good job on Data. and uh, Really? Uh, yeah, but I was reading some of the letter columns, and, and they're think, really bashing the, the coloration of Data. Well, he's white. I mean he's
1: just, just blinding white. And in fact, I have a comment when we get to one of the later uh, issues, I mean, the last issue uh, for today. Right. Where Data's laughing, and he basically looks like the Joker to me. He's just –
0: I guess so yeah
1: I mean he isn't supposed to be white right he's supposed to be like a goldish yellow goldish kind of color wasn't he
0: yeah but I think they were having a hard time making the gold
1: yeah I'm guessing so because he's bright white in the the comic
0: yeah it's just like they didn't color him in he's like the same color as the paper right (laughs) exactly
1: I I agree with that and and sometimes I just don't think he's drawn very well but you think so no, in 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 many issues it's fine. It's just like that first that first time we see him uh in this issue and he he's uh, uh he's right in front of Picard on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And he's just looking forward and he's just kind of like I don't know. I just don't think it's uh, I don't like the drawing.
0: Huh.
1: I, I think that looks like like him. So I I don't know what you know, you're talking it about. Kind of looks like him, but uh. uh yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, never mind then.
1: I'm not saying it's it's not a good drawing. I'm just saying that I don't think it's a good drawing. There's a distinction right. there. If you like it? It's great.
0: Okay. Well, I don't not like it, and I'm only mentioning it because the uh, the letter columns in in these later books make reference to it, and I guess people were writing in that they didn't care for it. Yeah. That and Pulaski's hair. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the editor who, who responds to the letters was like, yeah, we noticed that she's not supposed to be blonde. I don't know how that slipped by us. <laughs> okay, so that wasn't a decision. That was just a mistake on the colorist part
1: or something. Right, yeah. Okay, well, that's good because uh, it wasn't accurate. And they're pretty accurate in what they do in here. But
0: Yeah, well, after this issue, we won't have to worry about Pulaski's hair color. No, anymore. we
1: won't. No, we won't. And that's another comment I have coming up.
0: Um. Okay. Um, so it seems like a
1: Class 8 probe probably has warp drive, huh? I mean, if it doesn't, it wouldn't be very used for very long. I mean, long-range sensors could probably be as good a, a use as a, as a probe that doesn't have warp drive. Especially this thing is going warp 9. I mean, the, the, the mousetrap ship.
0: Is it called the mousetrap ship, or is that your... Oh, Picard called it that. Oh, okay. So I just started calling it that. because no, it's a very. I dig funny. on Picard. <laughs> he is my he is my hero. No, I uh, I agree. I didn't catch that, but you're absolutely right. How would how would that probe keep up? I mean, at all. I mean, yeah. unless it had warp drive. So you know. right. Good point.
1: I thought the drawing of the shuttlecraft at the end was rather was surprisingly rudimentary. It wasn't a bad drawing. It was just kind of simple. I was well, just a little surprised. Yeah, and Not they have I think it's a
0: bad drawing, just really basic. And they have that long bridge thing that they that they do. Well, why wouldn't it pull up closer to the the alien ship? Oh, oh, towards the end? Hmm. Yeah, when the when the shuttle docks with the with the shuttle with the when the shuttle oh, docks right. with the alien ship, right. they have this super long inflatable bridge and you just see the people walking across it and and I'm just like really? You just
1: walk across the thing?
0: Yeah. How would you stay on it for one thing and why would
1: you just dock with it? (laughs) That's a very good point. I mean you would, I I would think that they do more like Blake 7 in the first episode where it's more at least like some kind of a a, a round tunnel or something. But this is a wide open uh, what looks to be some kind of flexible fabric with like little sides. It, You know the little sides on it, a bottom, a floor and a little sides. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know.
0: It, it reminded me of like when you see in the movies where the plane makes an emergency landing and the right. inflatable slide pops out. That's what and it looks like. That might be the, now that you mention it, that might be the inspiration.
1: <laughs> but because because the, shuttle, the shuttle looks a little bit lower than the, than the derelict ship. And it does look like it's kind of going down like a slide, even though it's... <laughs> who cares you're in space there's no gravity but
0: yeah they would just float out they would open the door step on the thing and then just start floating away
1: yeah they they would jump out to jump onto it and they would like go up in the air and forward and they would never come back
0: <laughs> yeah it doesn't make sense and it looks i agree with you I, I think all the spaceships with the exception of the enterprise look kind of just bland yeah no detail in the derelict ship it's just like a shape yeah, it's an interesting
1: although like we said before it's an interesting design from a shape standpoint but Completely
0: agreed. I mean, it's just like there's almost no surface texture to it. It's like something you would make in woodshop. You would just cut out the little shape, sand yeah. it down, you got a ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Anyways, so that's really well, all I have to say. All right, uh, a good episode. Yeah, not, not too bad. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like this two epi- two issues per story. Yeah, because I think, I think it does well with. Uh, it, it makes it really feel like a. Like a full episode, right? It's like you know you have your commercial break in between issues, <laughs> and then you start up the second the second half,
1: right? And another thing is because of course uh, the writer of the comic is a writer uh, on the on the TV series, or was involved in, in writing on the TV series. Michael Jan um,
0: Friedman was. Oh, I I
1: thought he was. Oh, he just he just wrote novels. I think so. Oh, okay. But he these stories just seem like really well I mean they seem like well paced very much like the TV show I mean he, he's not going wacky or or off the mark I mean he just it just reminds me it more so than than many series comic series it just reminds me like I'm like watching a, a real episode
0: right I agree and, and it seems like the characters really do fall in line with uh with the TV show yeah where that first mini series was just kind of like all over the place
1: Okay. Is that it for that one?
0: Yep. Number five. Issue number five. So I have the honors on this one. So this one is entitled "Seraphin's Survivors. Let's just do the credits first. It's the exact same credits as the last issue, so I'm not going to go over them again. So issue number five, February 1990. Uh, cover shows Geordie and a beautiful woman about to have a very passionate embrace, and above their heads in blue letters is the word Survivors. Alright, so, starts off with the Enterprise is just reaching Cassiopeia Delta 7, aka Seraphim's planet. The planet is in an incredible state of self-destruction. On the bridge, Picard, Riker, and Troy marvel about how tough and reliant or resilient the colonists of Seraphim's planet are. Uh, we're not given any details to back up this, this admiration they have, but uh, they're just being referred to in, in very high regards. In the transporter room, Crusher and Geordie are awaiting the arrival of the colonists. We get some background that the colonists are made up of victims of a severe genetic disease that is well known for disfiguring the patients. Jordy awaits the arrival of the survivors because a good friend of his was on the planet. He has not seen her in quite some time and does not know how disfigured she might be, and Crusher prepares him for the worse. O'Brien announces that he has cut through the radiation and starts the beaming up of the survivors only 7 men and 1 woman are left in the of the colony as luck would have it the sole woman survivor just happens to be Jordy's longtime friend Dahlia the leader of the group advises them that there are no other colonists uh, that have made it crusher and jordy are also stunned that there none of the colonists show any disfigurements sometime later jordy and data are walking the halls and jordy is very excited about how healthy uh, Delia seems. As they're walking, a young boy points to Data and says he looks funny. His mother scolds him for being rude, and Data advises her that he has no feelings for her, for uh, the little boy to hurt. He also promises the boy that he might return so that they can become better acquainted. In the briefing room, Crusher states that she has no explanation for the apparent cure of the colonists, and Troy states that she feels that the survivors are hiding something. And it is something more than just survivor's guilt since the rest of the colony did not make it. Geordi gets very defensive about all their accusations and pretty much whines like a little baby. Sometime later, Geordi meets Delia in her quarters. As he arrives, another one of the survivors is leaving. He tries to hide it, but Delia can tell that he is jealous. She tells him that he has no reason to be and that he is still her best friend. At which point, she pulls off his visor and they start making out like rabbits. In Ten Forward, McRob, Data, Crusher, and Data are having drinks. Riker tells a joke. Data, starts, or Data states that he gets it. When reminded that you are supposed to laugh at jokes, Data launches into an amazing laughter fit. Riker orders him to stop since it was not that funny. Riker leaves to get more drinks just as Wesley arrives and asks if he can speak with his mother privately. They go to a small table and he asks her if she is okay since he has moved out while she was gone and they have not spoken much since her return. Crusher Crusher marvels how grown up her son is. In the gym, Troy is performing some amazing acrobatic moves on a trapeze-type bar. One of the survivors comes in and flirts with her a bit before showing off his own prowess with the trapeze. He states that he's not used to being able to do that type of thing since uh, he's just recently become cured. He invites Troy to dinner, and then another survivor arrives in the gym. The two men stare at each other, and then the newly arrived uh, survivor leaves. When the original survivor asks uh, about that dinner um, offer, Troy declines and goes to visit with Jordy. she asks Jordy if he's noticed anything odd about Dahlia he gets very defensive again and storms off to be continued so is it just me or does Jordy seem a little too sensitive and uh, uh, whiny about anybody making reference to the survivors acting weird
1: yes he's way too sensitive he, he has become McRob and he is now whiny man
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was just it's just weird. He sees her and then suddenly he's like infatuated and, and won't let anybody say anything, even remotely. Yeah, it's not even negative. They're just saying something seems odd. And then he's like, oh, you don't have any proof. Yeah. I'm going to run away and cry.
1: <laughs> Why doesn't anybody want Jordy LaForge to be happy?
0: <laughs> As we'll see later. Yeah, it just seemed weird. It just seemed. I mean, I, or Was just the that... way
1: he went through that that thing. What like thing? a bunch of people that just don't want to see
0: Jordy LaForge happy. I think it is this one. Is it this one? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it just it just seems weird. I I know that Jordy doesn't normally have the luck with the ladies, so maybe right. he's just uh you know really happy to finally find a girl that's. <laughs> that digs him, but uh, I don't know. It just seems – I don't think he would be uh, that starved for attention.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, of course, now that she's really hot, um, he kind of likes that too even though he can't see her,
0: at least well, see, in, a, in a traditional way. Now, was she disfigured before she left him? Cause I could—I never... don't think so. I think she got disfigured on the planet. I did too. got the feeling that she left before any ailments – disfigured her
1: yeah yeah she got him on i'm pretty sure she got him on the planet with everybody else
0: but yeah i
1: think like when she was when uh, he was talking to crush at the beginning it's like i had the impression that he wasn't sure what she'd look like exactly although the medical assumption was they'd be disfigured in some way due to the disease or whatever yeah and
0: i kind of pictured the disease as being something sort of like leprosy or something like that Hmm. yeah maybe yeah it, it, it's weird that the the disease doesn't get a name, nor does any of the survivors. So that's why I kept having to refer to them as Survivor Number One and Survivor Number. Two. <laughs> well, we find out names uh, later. Do we? I couldn't remember.
1: Well, well, we know what. Um, that what Eurebi? I mean, the guy that talked to, talk to uh, Deanna. Oh, is and that by Elizabeth the way? Is? Deanna's looking really good.
0: They and she's got... very, she's very limber.
1: She's very limber and svelte. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eurebi oh, okay. is the one guy that was talking to her, and then this other guy's name is Dupont. Oh, okay. Well, the guy okay. that was looking at her, but you don't know yet, that yet. I, oh. I think they, I, I, at least, they mentioned Dupont's name in the next issue. You yeah. just know him as the odd guy in the doorway. Yeah. Who well, says well, I thought this was the lounge?
0: Does it look like the lounge? And why was he giving him the old stink eye for a long time? Mm, a mystery. Mm. Yeah, and everybody's coloring. All the survivors' coloring is very weird. So there's one guy that has orange hair and brown skin, and then there's a guy who has brown hair and orange skin. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then Delia's kind of purplish colored. Well,
1: uh, on the cover, I'd say almost like pink. I mean, like like almost a salmon color.
0: Yeah, like a, yeah, that's what color she is. Yeah. it's not purple. With blue so it's, hair, it's kind of yeah. It's kind of a reddish. It's like she's been in the sun too long. So I don't know. At first I thought maybe that was the disease that it changed your skin pigmentation. Could be, and hair. <laughs> so you all have a lot of them have Wolverine hair.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting seeing Crusher back after Pulaski was there last week. Now we see Doctor Crusher, and the uniforms are cha- are different. So,
0: oh, I didn't um, notice the uniforms.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like they ju- they in the last issue they were in season two. And in this issue, they've jumped uh, midstream to season uh, three. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of kind of interesting.
0: Now, what's the difference in the uniforms? Oh, okay. They don't have that little pleated well, they- thing around their necks.
1: Well, they got a collar, you know. So they got the right, they got yeah. the stand up collar with the pips. Uh, they don't have the little little pipe. They have a little piping around the yeah, uh piping. The, the shoulder. And and these were a, I thought a significant improvement. Now you've got a tunic uh, instead of like the kind of jumpsuit kind of thing. Yeah, the onesie, the onesie. Which I guess I guess
0: Roddenberry liked the jumpsuit thing. I don't know. Yeah, I heard that one of the reasons why they got. Away from that was that, you know. It's hard to pee, and you know. Well, not yourself. only that, but it was, you know, you couldn't just get a different actor to wear that 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 oh. jump shoot suit would have been really fitted for just one person. Sure. So when they yeah. had guest stars and stuff, and they, you know, were like, "Okay, well, you're about Riker's height. Wear this suit," you know, and then right. you're like, and then. <laughs> Maybe Riker's a bad example, but you know, yeah. somebody who's a little taller than Picard trying to wear Picard's uniform, getting all hunched over and back aches and things like that. So Right. So this was
1: lower uh, uniform costuming costs, I guess. Yeah. But exactly. I will say that especially as time went on, those uh, those newer uniforms uh, were they were pretty nice. I mean, it that was I mean, it was like I mean, it was like the equivalent of a fine suit or something. I mean, those looked like, like mean, really nice pieces of clothing, the ones from the movies, the no, no, or no TV show. Oh, Okay, like these, the one in this issue, the ones with the with the little black, uh, you know, asymmetrical, uh, you know, little little edge coming up on the bottom uh, or the top part of the torso.
0: Right. Still not a big fan of the bell bottom type look, where the oh. where it comes up. It's not really bell bottoms, but the the, the bottom of the front, the pants come
1: up, yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, but but you'll notice that, uh, like, in Deep Space Nine, I just watched uh, an episode called The Ship the other day, and I noticed that in all the, the, the next set of uh, uniforms, which, of course, they use in Deep Space Nine and uh, Voyager, and eventually and uh, the next-gen crew, um, they... To keep it straight, they've got like a piece of elastic around the bottom of their shoe. Which it's nice. It keeps it all taut and it all looks nice and stuff. It's just how practical is that? So you you've got this piece of elastic on the bottom of your pants that goes around the bottom of your shoe, you know where you're stepping. I just didn't just didn't seem too practical to me. Huh. I never noticed that. So well, it's like the, stirrups? Ah, uh, kinda. I guess you could talk it. Talk about it that way. There were some specific shots on this this episode of Deep Space Nine where they were uh, like walking over planetary surface, and it was kind of close up shooting up, so you kind of saw the the feet hitting the uh, rocks they were they were climbing on, right. and uh, and they had you know this, this elastic thing on the bottom.
0: Huh. I I'll have to go back and rewatch that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not a big deal. It's just. Yeah. I mean, if there was any. I mean, if you spent money on a real, you know, on a, on a good quality uniform, I, I happen to have a cheap one. Sorry, color <laughs> me color me geek. But if you met, if you spent money on a really good one, it would be one of these or maybe the Picard one. Uh, the, I mean, in the uh, in the movies,
0: the gray ones,
1: the gray ones, yeah, black and gray ones. But you'd go back for the red ones from Next Gen, I mean, not Next Gen, uh, original Trek movies.
0: Yeah, I like that and the uh, the gray ones. Yeah, was your favorite. I saw you in one of those, in the gray one? No,
1: not the gray one. The uh, the the the, the, the Taz, uh movie tunic. You, you
0: did? Because I've never worn one.
1: I thought. Isn't that what you? Is, no, it was. Isn't uh, that what you were wearing when you uh, were in that one photo?
0: No, that was uh, the gray one.
1: Oh, was that the gray one? Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought you were in a tunic. Oh well. Nope. I thought. Oh, I mean, talk about. Uh, you had mentioned about some letters about uh, Data maybe looking a little off in the last issue. In this one, uh, O'Brien looks freaky on page five.
0: Yeah, he has like super – uh, super. he looks like a cone head almost.
1: <laughs> well, he's thinner than I'm used to him, but maybe he was that thin back in, in the beginning when he started appearing on Next Gen. But he's he's too thin, and his eyes look weird.
0: It's like – like ah! and, his, and half, half his head is – forehead he oh looks is like it a, yeah looks like a head. okay like you said <laughs> that's what i mean by Cone head. Yeah. it's it was funny i thought at first i didn't think it was him i was like oh it was just some random transporter guy and then they referred to him as o'brien and i'm like yeah. oh oh yeah yeah well i can tell it's o'brien it's just not a
1: good rendition
0: <laughs> yeah let me look at that data laughing
1: oh yeah I looked at it, and the first thing I thought of was the Joker. Yeah,
0: he does look a little Jokerish with the white skin and the big laughter,
1: big, big, big smile, big
0: laugh. Although not, no, no, uh, red lipstick. Yeah, especially the second page on page sixteen when it shows him in profile when when Riker orders him to stop laughing. <laughs> he even looks more like the Joker. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, I. I liked
1: uh, how Picard subtly but still decisively slapped down Geordi when he was getting a little bit too defensive uh, about the colonists. Right. I thought that was good. I mean, so Picard in his his firm but fair but forceful way is basically telling him to, uh, you know, cool it. Cool your jets, pal.
0: Right. Yeah, just basically, do you have any other observations? Yes, exactly, because the first ones kind of suck. So (laughs) – So what do you think about the love scene? Didn't that seem kind of weird? Love scene? I thought you just – I thought you said they were just kissing. I don't know, but she she says that, Jordy, you know you're my best friend, and then they just start making out. And I'm like, dude, I have a lot of good friends, and – It ain't that good. You don't do that.
1: Well, you got one good friend where it's just fine. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it seemed like uh, it was good. Yeah, Jordy, you go
0: for it boy You so, go man. You know, n- not that I, you know, because I hadn't read the second issue or at least I haven't read it in a long time. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe her taking the visor off while they were making out was going to mean something, you know. Oh, it meant that, something. Well, it means I thought it meant something like she was taking horizontal it off. horizontal bop, baby. <laughs> I, was, I thought that she was taking it off so that he wouldn't see something when they Oh, I see. maybe Losing items of clothing, you know, oh, that maybe she...
1: It would expose
0: something. Right. And then when we read the next issue, we find out what's going on, but it has nothing to do with why he needed to be in the dark while they were getting to know one another. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, the visor looked kind of weird when she took it off. It looked like it shrank in about half. Well, I didn't even know what it was at first. So... Yeah,
1: when she took it off, I what was it? Just in front of like some kind of piece of clothing or something. I don't know what it was in front of.
0: But when I saw it, when I first saw it, I was thinking, well,
1: "What's that thing?"
0: Well, what's she that has a
1: silver it... thing.
0: She takes it off and then she like puts it behind her. That's her butt.
1: <laughs> oh, was that her butt? Okay. Yeah. I just remember that whatever it was against, it was like, "What the hell is that?" Oh, oh, it's Jordy's visor. Oh, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> but it looks really it doesn't have like the the ear pieces or whatever. It just looks like it would just be just the, the little graded part that goes right above his eyes and not the part right. that connects to those little nodes the, or whatever right. above his ears.
1: In his temples or whatever. Yeah. Or oh, is it his temples or does it, does it go, nah, does it go right. all the way back to his ears?
0: No, it's just his temples. You're right. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I, I was a little off on that too. But anyways, I guess I guess if you had friends like that you might be a little overly defensive. <laughs>
1: or you had so few friends that you could actually get some loving from. <laughs> hey, let's not
0: let's not ruin this, okay? This doesn't happen very
1: often. Mrs. Wiggins.
0: Mrs. Wiggins. I was trying to do
1: <laughs> a young geek with her cracking voice.
0: Oh, okay. So did you catch any reference, or is there any reference to the the planet's name, Seraphine?
1: Uh, What, in other comics or something? Or, or just... Other stories? What was it supposed to be named after? Uh, somebody named Seraphin. See, I, I didn't... I assumed. I, I really have no idea.
0: I thought I it mean, might they... have had some inner meaning. I don't know, but a little, little internet search might find out something. Well, I did do a search, and the only thing I could find that... Was remotely, you know, uh, medical because I kept thinking that it would be some sort of medical relation. There was a oh. there was a Kathrina Seraphid who was a Persian lady who, uh, I guess, had a tumor in her sternum in mm-hmm. the 1800s. Yeah. And the doctor removed her st- sternum, but and then the skin grew back, but she had a hole in her chest. And he's like, he was able to, you know do like cardiac pacing experiments on her because it was the first time somebody could see a heart beating still inside the chest. So I don't think that that's uh, what this might be related to. Just probably not. Seemed weird, Seraphim. Hmm. I just thought there was some sort of inner meaning. At first I thought maybe the leader of the colony was named Seraphim, but as you said, they named him something else. Oh, yeah, but do you, I mean, you, you don't know if he he was the original leader of the colony. True, true. I mean, not
1: really. I mean, he definitely seems to be the leader now, now that most of the colony is decimated.
0: But, That's true. Whether he was always leader or not, who knows. All uh, right, what else you got on this one?
1: Uh, I got nothing else, really. I just, you know, I just had a comment about Jordy being quite the whiny little baby at the end. But we already talked about
0: that, so. Yeah, he's whiny baby throughout most of it. Yeah. Even right before he's about to get some loving, he's whiny right before it. Well, yeah, but
1: wouldn't you be a little bit disappointed, too? What? Handsome guy sitting there inside of her, uh, your girlfriend's room. Not really sure what the situation is. It's like, oh, oh, I guess you've got a girlfriend. <laughs> right. Or a boyfriend, in this case.
0: Right. Shall, Shall we go on? on? Let's to number do it. six,
1: and find out what the heck's going on with this colony? Seems weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, issue number six Shadows in the Garden. Uh, same folks, creative team. We'll not repeat again and slaughter their names. The cover shows Jordy on the ground, unconscious, with yellow smoke rising out of his chest and leading to his ex lover's right hand. In red lettering, the cover asks, Once they were lovers. Now, Jordi is walking arm in arm with Daila, Daila, Daila in a holodeck scene from a beautiful planet he once visited. He, she is impressed with the sights and smells of the simulation. While stretching to grab a fruit off of a, the branch of a tree, Dahlia strains herself and doubles over clutching her side. She says it's nothing but Jordi is concerned. In a briefing room, Troy is briefing Picard and Riker on her observations of DuPont and Uribe. When they faced each other in her presence, there was a clear desperation in them, a hunger whose satisfaction may turn to violence. Picard decides to have security keep an eye on the colonists, but do it subtly, since they have not done anything outwardly to justify mistrust, as Geordie pointed out, Very defensively in the last issue. Data spends some quality time with Randy, a young boy he met in last issue. Data shows him some moves in a game called Sharad Sharashdi. Sharashdi. Mom is impressed that Data is taking the time, and Randy really seems to like Data. We find out that Randy's dad died and that he is having trouble adjusting to life aboard the Enterprise. Data departs. While walking in a hall, Geordi thinks about his suspicions that Dahlia is keeping secrets from him. Suddenly, he witnesses a colonist doubled over ahead of him. He appears to have similar muscle pains to uh, Dahlia. This confirms his suspicions and he decides to confront Dahlia about it. DuPont and Uribe are speaking together in DuPont's quarters. DuPont is telling Uribe that not to interact with the crew anymore, and that he has to uh, control himself until they get to Starbase 90. Uribe emotionally is very emotional and chastises DuPont for being so controlling and, and reserved when fate has made him a god. Dupont tells Uribe to watch Dahlia for any indiscretion she might make. Uribe asks, what if he refuses to play spy? Dupont ends the conversation saying they both may regret not keeping their vows as he crushes some yellow and blue papier-mâché-looking object that he's been playing with for the past previous six panels. I know if someone crushed a papier-mâché object in my presence, I sure would get back in line. I can tell you. Geordi confronts Dahlia, and after a while gets her to admit that they have been covering up something. She finally comes out and tells him really what happens on what happened on Seraphim's planet. She tells him a radioactive material just beneath the surface was exposed when the planet started breaking up and started changing them And making them more than human unfortunately at a cost they must take the life force from others or they begin to die geordie offers to bring her to dr crusher to help but dahlia tries to get geordie to provide her with a crewman who she can suck the life out of geordie of course refuses so she knocks him out with a handy yellow bolt of energy that comes out of her right hand Dahlia leaves in search of prey. She almost takes young Randy's life, but Data's presence makes her change her mind. Jordi comes to and calls Worf to stop Dahlia before she kills someone. Worf tells him that she already did kill Ensign Wyler. Geordie tells Worf he thinks she'll be on her way to the nearest shuttle bay, which happens to be shuttle bay 2. Worf says... He is on his way also. Jordy finds a crewman unconscious on the ground, with two colonists shooting hand lightning into Dahlia. DuPont orders them to grab LaForge to prevent him from telling anyone else. Jordy turns off the lights to the uh, shuttle bay to improve his odds against the superhuman three. The darkness ploy works for a while, but they finally capture LaForge. Just when Jordy's goose looks cooked, Worf and another security man busts in, asks them not to move, and then Worf stuns them with his phaser when they do not comply. Cut to Jordy, who's at Dahlia's deathbed in sickbay. They tell each other they love each other, and Dahlia dies, finally. Jordy is Mr. Sadface. And then Riker and Crusher witness the events from a distance. An unseen narrator reads a Vulcan Vulcan poem about shadows in gardens and children and sunlight and whatever. (laughs) The main point being, I'm not quite sure what the point of what it is, but
0: at the end, what do you think? So they were vampires of some sort? They're basically vampires. Energy-sucking vampires. Energy-sucking
1: vampires. Not salt-sucking, in this case. (laughs) And not blood-sucking, but
0: life-energy-sucking. Yeah. It was a little disappointing.
1: It was. But, uh, you know, there was a mystery. They told us what it is. And, uh, of course, because Jordy has to continue to be Mr. Adventurer, the
0: girlfriend has to die. So, there you go. Right. I, I kept thinking that you know she would revert back to, you know, like like the disease was coming back or something like that, and you would have a, you know, a scene where she, you know, goes off to another planet to s- stay with the other disfigured people instead of staying with him, and he's like, oh, it doesn't matter what you look like, and then you know I thought that's where we were going to go with it, I wasn't expecting vampires. No. <laughs>
1: It didn't go where you thought, man. But a
0: but little anyways, more action-packed. I, I could see this as being an episode. This this had that that feel to it. Yeah, and they do like to uh, you
1: know focus on uh, on some of the lesser characters on occasion, and it sure is nice to give Jordy something to do once in a while.
0: Yeah, because the only scenes he had in those, and I, I don't even think he was in that last one. The first one we read this week. But last week, he was only in it when Riker was trying to hook him up with some girl or something, and he was like, oh, I'm too busy working on these engines.
1: I guess so then the, the oh.
0: dilithium crystal cracked or whatever, and they didn't have warp yeah, time, he, so yeah,
1: He was definitely involved in the last storyline, but usually but, within the
0: context of the dilithium and the engines. Yeah, yeah. And, and not wanting to socialize. Right Because he was too scared, and then then he has this where he gets a girl, but he loses her at the end. Ah. damn LaForge. yeah, well, here in a couple of years he'll he'll have his holographic girlfriend um Leah Brahms <laughs> and uh, which
1: how much better is that? I don't know, <laughs> but then he does meet the real one.
0: Yeah, she's not too happy that he has a holographic version of her. Not at all. What are you doing <laughs>
1: with this holographic version of me? Uh we're we're running through schematics.
0: Really? Really. <laughs> Why <laughs> does she have clothes on then, Jordy? I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. Uh so anyways, uh this this last shot of Jordy kind of leaning over her all crying faced. Yeah. Uh Reminds me of that shot that was in the uh, mini series, which was also, you know, drawn by this Pablo guy, mm-hmm. where Data was all mopey faced above Geordi's dead body. Do you remember that? I think it was oh. issue number four, four mm. or five. Yeah, you remember?
1: Yep. Yeah, I remember.
0: But it looked a lot. This this picture reminded me a lot of that one. Yeah. Anyways, so. The holodeck having smells and tastes and things like that, I thought that was interesting. Right. They usually do not focus on that on the TV show. At least I don't recall it. No. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it. And I was like, are they trying to imply that smells and tastes are more important to Jordy because that's what he would remember because, you uh-huh. know, he doesn't have the sense of sight? Right. But I, I don't know if that's where they were going with that or point. not. That would – I
1: mean somebody that uh... – or depending upon other senses, might focus on that in their programming, right? right of the holodeck
0: program. Yeah. So I guess it would, would. What does it do? Does it replicate the the food that, so you could actually eat it?
1: You know, this whole holodeck thing, I'm not crazy about. <laughs> I've told you this before. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just photons. I mean, if it's just photons, then how does it have substance? I don't get. And then and then this idea what they're talking about here with with smells and stuff. Well, that takes it even further. Smell Spell-O-Vision, man. Well, supposedly they do have electronics even now. Uh, I mean, uh, actually, I read there was an RSS feed I read the other day that was talking about how the big next big thing in consumer electronics, like the, you know, they they've had they've had iDef and then they've had 3D and now the next thing is going to be smells coming out of your TV set. It's like really, yeah, you gonna do that? I read that. I mean, too. just just because you can do that. Doesn't mean you should do that. <laughs> I mean, could you see them, you know, uh, Lucas comes back yet again and messes with Star Wars, and they're in that garbage disposal thing, and then you can smell it? It's like, no, I don't need that. Oh, that'll be awesome. I don't think I need that.
0: So let's see, episode one. One well, thing's comes for
1: up... sure. We're all going to be a lot thinner. <sighs> and smell worse.
0: So that'll be in 2015 when they re-release Star Wars Episode Four. So, if 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 vision is in theaters by 2015, I bet we get it. Yay!
1: Can't wait. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so they're replacing in blue. They're gonna release them in Blu-ray in September.
0: Yeah. So which? So which? Oh, I got you. And then so. and then they're releasing once one a year, February of the next six years. Oh. They'll release one movie in 3D. Oh, right, right,
1: right. So they want... Yeah, because yeah, you want to buy it 15... You want to buy the same movie 15 times, don't you?
0: Yeah, I'll buy the Blu-ray, and then when I get a 3D TV and a 3D DVD player, <laughs> I will buy the 3D DVDs as they come out. And
1: we're, we're digressing from Star Trek, but I will say this. I, I refuse to buy Avatar until I have a 3D TV, and then I'll buy that disc once. Actually, right. if you buy a Panasonic, they I think they give you the disc or something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no so, you, you know, 3D. I haven't heard if uh, Star Trek 12 is going to be in 3D or not. I really don't care. If they I
1: mean, if they do do that,
0: um, they just better not let it get in the way of the story. You know, they haven't really done a. I mean, aside from Avatar, which was basically just a cartoon throughout the whole thing. Um, I mean, they haven't really done a sci fi, a, sh- a straight up sci fi 3D movie, have they? I'm sure they probably have, but now that you mention it,
1: none are coming to mind.
0: I mean, it's usually the fantasy and superhero movies that get the three D treatment. Yeah, or the horror stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, like the Saws and Final Fantasies and stuff like that. Uh
1: yeah, and didn't they do uh, a Jason or a Michael in three D or? I don't know. Oh
0: yeah, they did. They did Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in three D. Oh, but that, that was, it was that was in the eighties. That was old
1: tech. Okay. But they've still done it. Yeah. But yeah.
0: uh, Sci-fi, 3D. eh. I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see how Star Wars Episode One looks like in in February. Cool. All right. So uh, Data befriending a little boy kind of reminds me of Star Trek Insurrection, where Mm -hmm. he kind of does the same thing.
1: Yep. And it also reminds me where I think they're going with this. Uh, an actual, actual episode where where Data gets a girlfriend and is actually in a relationship, because I get the feeling he's not only gotten in the relationship with the kid, but they may try to do something with the mom too. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, with the uh, you know, Mister Data, sure is lonely with his son, his dad being dead. <laughs> this bed gets awfully cold if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I was getting the same vibe.
1: Yeah, but it was one thing I did like about that that next gen episode is I mean in the end the relationship between him and the girl and they're even living together as I recall um, in the end I mean this before he had the emotion chip and everything he's a machine you know I mean as much as he, he acts like a person and seems like a person and stuff uh, I mean he's a machine he's not a man
0: so yeah,
1: yeah. even though he can do the apparently. He is fully atomically correct
0: still. Right. Yeah, there's that great scene where he kisses her and she's like, all right, well, what were you thinking about? And then he rattles off like 20 things before he even mentions that he was thinking about how much pressure to apply to her lips and stuff like that. And then yeah. she, was, she got all mad. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I was in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, with the veil – Well, something I think is really interesting every time they they have a a story that that puts a little acid test on Data's humanity is that he's not human. I mean, he's a robot, uh, and some of the things he does is kind of trappings that makes you think he is. But in the end, as cool as Data is and everything, he's still, you know, a machine. Sorry. Yep.
0: Yep. I liked it. Yep. So I'm curious to see where they go with Randy's mom.
1: I think there's going to be a little something going on there. We'll not, not not that Data probably cares about looks, but she's kind of cute. <laughs> okay. The mom, that
0: is. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. All,
1: All right. right. So, uh, Daddy Data scene, wife, yes, we covered that. Uh, yeah, what the heck is that party favor thing supposed to be that DuPont, sh- DuPont shatters?
0: Yeah, you mentioned that in your synopsis. Uh, let me go back and look. I thought it was some sort of pottery thing.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it's like, you know, okay, maybe it's a glass thing. I don't know, maybe it's a pottery thing. I'm not sure what the heck it is. But it's like, you know, he's crushing it. Like, it's like, oh, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really uh, serious about this. And it's like, big deal. Are you trying to make a point? Big deal.
0: Well, maybe it was glass and it was like, not every fingers. I don't know. Uh, He's a superman. Oh, you know, I just noticed when uh, when Jordy's talking to Dahlia or whatever her name is, she's reading the book Gar- Shadows in the Garden. Oh, she has a novel on her on her. Uh, which is the title? Coffee story. table. Hmm. Which is also that poem at the very end by the uh, unknown Vulcan. Vulcan, whatever. Yeah, poet. Interesting. <sighs>
1: I did not notice that.
0: So I, I liked the whole, if you love me, you'll help me find somebody to kill. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> The very classic, you know, vampire manipulation type exactly. thing. I, I thought it was pretty good. And right. I almost, you know, basing, basing it on what Jordy was acting like last issue, I half expected him to go out and do it. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm glad he didn't. I, I did not expect him to do that at all. I, I was thinking to myself, what are you doing, woman? He's a squeaky clean hero. He's not going to do that for you. Yeah, but he's usually not a little whiny baby either, so he was a little out of character for the last couple issues, so. Right. Yep. But hey, you know, you get a chick in the scene, you know. will do weird things. So when when the survivors killed her, were they draining her? Vampire draining her? I don't know. Is that what that does? I don't know. Those little lightning bolts that came out? Those yellow lightning
1: things coming out?
0: I don't know. Yeah, but when when they were doing it to her, it was like this little blue mist, or green mist type thing. I don't know. That's a good yeah, point, though. It wasn't very you, clear.
1: If you're gonna kill somebody, you know, and if you're a vampire, you might as well take drink the
0: blood. But, yeah, I don't know. And then what happened to them after you know, Jordy. Well, they don't bother explaining that, do they? Yeah, but are, but, they, you know, are they in the
1: brig? or they? Oh, they better be in the brig. I mean, if I mean, I think they're super strong and stuff. So they didn't bother with that little detail. But obviously, they're going to have to do something with those people. I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean they're they're, they're kind of like wraiths in Star in Stargate. So um, either they're going to die, or you got to feed them, or you're going to let them go, and they can't let them go. So probably going to die.
0: Eh, maybe they'll be in the next issue, but I kinda doubt it.
1: I don't think so. I think I think this particular storyline uh is done. Stick a fork in it.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at the next issue now and it starts off with Picard talking debug people, so talking yep. to debug to to, to insect looking aliens. Right? Oh, oh bug looking people. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. And then oh, well, Data like is with a certain <clears throat> mother. I'm not ah. going to tell you who's. <laughs> who's could that be? Yeah,
1: so she, that's she, a she.
0: little teaser for next time. Okay, Or the next next time. Right, <sighs> exactly. Next time we visit the uh, next gen. There you go. Alright, what else see. you got?
1: Uh, I was interested that Jordi theorized that, uh, that she was headed to the nearest shuttle bay. And in fact, he said shuttle bay too. It's like Maybe it's just been a while since I've watched a Next Gen episode, but did they have more than one shuttle bay? I mean, I thought yeah. they just had that one thing in the back, you know, like 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 all the starships in the back of the uh, the
0: engineering section. Yeah, but they did reference shuttle bay one, shuttle bay two. Did they?
1: Okay. So yeah. where, else, where else did the shuttles come out of, except other than the back?
0: Well, that's, that's the only place they came out of. D- don't think about it too hard, kid. Just go with it there's shuttle bay one shuttle bay
1: two now now I gotta get the blueprints
0: (laughs) (laughs) right, let me me know when you find them and and what you find out okay but I'm pretty sure I remember them referencing multiple shuttle bays yeah but
1: I mean are they they, quote bays within that general large area I'm sure it's a large area where in the the back of the engineering section where the shuttles typically come out, out and in and if it isn't then there's another spot in the ship where shuttles come in and out I never saw it.
0: No, I think it's it might be like... Maybe like you said, maybe there's a whole bunch of bays that make up that whole landing area. Right in the back. Yep. Could be. Could be. Cool. That's, uh, that's all I got, man. Okay. The only other thing I had was I liked how Jordy reasoned that if he turns the lights off, that would give him the advantage because yep. he doesn't use light to see.
1: <clears throat> exactly.
0: And... Um, Reminded me of an old movie. I can't. I can't remember the name of it. Where there were these like burglars coming in to attack some blind woman, and she right. gets the lights off. And then there's like a whole section of the movie where you can just hear what's going on. Right. Do you know what that movie is? No. Okay. But the, but the whole thing sounds very familiar. I'm
1: sure there's been TV shows that have done things like that too.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking that it had someone kind of famous, some famous actress. Anyways, all right, anything else? Uh, no. All right, so last week we did in the expanded universe the, uh, well, we did the expanded universe for these three months. Uh, so I thought this week we would kind of go over what Star Trek Next Generation episodes were coming on. So there, we were in season 3 What'd you say it was? Episodes 10, episodes through, 18? 10 through 18. Yeah, yeah, so these came out beginning of 1990. Um, the first one was The Defector, and then episode 18 was The allegiance. So just briefly, the episodes that I thought were really good in this uh, time frame was uh, Yesterday's Enterprise.
1: Excellent. That, that's that's easily the top one on this list, as yeah. far as I'm concerned.
0: With the uh, good old NCC-1701C. Yep, and Cap- YARM. Well, not only Yar, but Captain Rachel Garrett in her only on screen appearance. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which they made a big deal out of in uh,
0: that start, that uh, Night of the Living Trekkie. Oh, that's right, they did. They made a big deal out of that. So that one was good. And then the very next week was The Offspring, where uh, Data creates Law. Right. That has to be one of my favorite episodes. Kind of thing. And then, you know, there were some other good ones, but you know, like deja Q where Q loses his powers and becomes yeah. hungry for the first time.
1: I remember I remember when he falls asleep for the first time. Because when he was describing it to Picard, he was like scared and stuff. He was like, Picard, Picard, I don't know what it was like. I was just I was just standing there and all of a sudden everything went black. And then and then and then, then Picard's like going, You fell asleep. <laughs> 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 it's like Oh, that's what he was talking about. He thought. oh, okay. <laughs> no, that was he a good, really good episode, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yet, finding yet another way to take a look at the UN condition through the eyes of an alien or a robot. Well, isn't that what Star Trek's
0: all about? Exactly. Uh, the rest of the stuff, I mean, is good, but those are the three great ones, that, that quarter. Right. Any other ones jump out at you? No, but some of
1: these, quite frankly, I don't remember too well. If I don't remember them too well, it's probably because they weren't really sticking to my brains as being uh really great ones.
0: Right, Sons of the Father was good. That that was the first one where Tony Todd came in as Worf's brother.
1: Oh, gotcha. Right, right. What was okay. his name?
0: Kern, I believe. Uh, yeah, or probably. Sounds right. <laughs> sounds right. Sounds I I I love Tony Todd, and I thought he was he was really good as Worf's brother. Yeah. anyways He's good so that's our little expanded uh, universe for this uh, for this episode excellent so excellent. next week we'll be back with um, what original series 7 eight, nine yep so and
1: uh, and one last quick comment though I read issue six I read the uh, letter section and it was talking about how um, the person doing the uh, the the Next gen confidential, whatever they called it. It was commenting how they're not getting any, as many letters as their sister comic. So okay. I assume they're talking about. I assume they're talking about the uh, the original, the original series, right? series. So
0: start writing in, kids. So that's weird, because at that time, I mean. Star Trek Five had just come out, but Star Trek: The Next Generation was really hitting its stride. I mean, oh yeah, season three is when it went mainstream. I think. I mean, when you watch those, like you know, the greatest cliffhanger of all time, you know, the end of season three always makes that list. Oh yeah, you know they're they're, you know these these are shows talking about you know, they usually don't throw Star Trek in, but they always mention Best of Both Worlds. Oh. Well, season season three and four were, I think, the two best seasons.
1: And uh, Best of Both Worlds is my favorite next-gen episodes.
0: I will agree. Part Parts I, one and two. Darn good. Darn good stuff, man. Well, then, uh, I guess until next week, we will talk to you guys later. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic
0: Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.